Who is your king? Who is your king? Who rules your life? Who governs the affairs of the things that you do? Of the relationships that you have? Of the way that you spend your money? uh, Over the way that you use sex? Who is your king? Who is the one who moves and shapes your life in that way? Who is the one who has ultimate authority in your life? It is the, the question. It's the question. It, this is it. This is the question of life. Who is going to govern the affairs of my life? Who is going to take control of me? Because make no mistake, you will be controlled by one thing or another. You will, if you set up anything in your life as being the thing, as being the ultimate thing, if it doesn't matter what it is, whatever you put in that place of king in your life, it will control you. It will dictate where your life goes. You might say, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of uh, you know, many talents, and I, and I can get by, and, I, and I've, I'm a self-made man. You are king. You're it. And you might say, that's right, I'm king. But here, you got to listen. You got to listen. You need to understand that that's not going to get you very far. And sometimes in religion, we can make a false king. We can have a picture of Jesus or of God that we think is him. And there's many reasons for this. One of the primary reasons is, is we have not dug in to the scriptures, to the Bible itself. The Old and New Testament, we have not dug into that to see who God says that he is. How does God show us who he is and what he's like? And so as a result of us not knowing that, not understanding this, not really understanding the God of the Bible, what happens is this, that we make a God of our own, and either it is us or it's any number of things your status, your career, your sexual exploits, your relationships, your leisure. Something is king in your life. And Jesus wants that place. Jesus wants that place. And if you don't give that to him, if you don't give that to him, you risk missing Jesus altogether. If you make religion your king, you risk missing Jesus altogether. If you make morality your thing and your king, you could miss Jesus altogether. And in fact, it's one of the most insidious ways that religion plays into our life into making us think, into tricking us, into thinking that somehow we have a real king When in reality, it's a king of our own making because we don't know and love the God of the scriptures and how he has revealed himself. Who is your king? Who is your king? Our country is in the midst of making a king, if you haven't listened to the news. And if you understand the polls or if you uh, listen to the polls, that is what people are saying, who they're going to vote for, uh, you might uh, believe that our next king of our country is going to be a very rich man with a comb over. <laughs> and there, there are many things about this man that, uh, 
that are, are actually quite fascinating. I, I've got to admit, uh, I'm very fascinated. Uh, and this is not a political endorsement by any stretch of the imagination, but what it is, what it is, uh, is uh, political commentary uh, a little bit in how uh, we view kings. So we have this guy, Donald Trump, who is, uh, he is riding high on the polls and people are really uh, digging what he has to say. And he is bucking all of the trends from the very beginning until now. People said he'll never run. He did run. I mean, if you listen to one of his speeches, he, he'll say all this stuff. But it's fascinating to watch. Like, you can't believe the things that he's saying. It's like watching a car accident happen in slow motion. It's just like, did he really say that again? Like, I mean, no way. Uh, that's fascinating. And people are just eating it up. And and so I'm a watcher of people, and so I love to see people's reactions. I just, I sit there and I try to guess how people are going to respond to what he's saying, and, and I love to see why people re- respond in different ways. It's, it's part of my job, uh, but uh, I, I enjoy watching the news on, on that aspect. But here he is. He's this uh, very rich man, as I said, with a comb over, and he has... Uh, really bucked all of these trends. And so one of the things that you do as a politician during election season is you go to Iowa or the Iowa caucuses. And I don't really know how they completely work, but I will tell you this, that Iowa helps in picking our president, if you didn't know that. And so Iowa is one of those first kind of telltale signs as to who's kind of in the running and who's up there. And so the Iowa caucuses, it's in Iowa, if you can believe that. And they uh, have a fair, and so at this fair, all of the uh, candidates come, and, and they come, and they present themselves, their ideas, and, and so forth, and people caucus, whatever that means, and, and they uh, uh, do weird things, eat uh, pork chops on a stick, and uh, lots of fried food, and so, uh, but the thing with the Iowa caucus, caucuses is that the you are not supposed to bring an entourage. If you're a political candidate, you're not supposed to bring your entourage in. You're not supposed to bring, like, security. You're not supposed to come with a lot of pomp and circumstance. You're just supposed to come, rub shoulders with the voters, and uh, you're just supposed to come and hang out and, and do this. Now, Mr. Trump, on the other hand, ropes off a uh, parking lot, right? And then lands his helicopter, and not like a, you know, little helicopter, we're talking about like a helicopter, lands this on a parking lot, and small wonder whose it is, it says Trump in letters at least this big, and the news media was going nuts, and people were like, well, you're not supposed to do that, and he's like, I don't care, he just goes and he does it, and so people were uh, flabbergasted by that, yet people really loved what he had to say what he did, and they're shouting things at him. And, I, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just fascinated by this. How are people responding this way to this guy that was virtually a pariah not that long ago, and yet they're responding in this way, shouting like, Trump, you can do it. He's a businessman. He does, he's done all these great things, and he's fantastic, and they're shouting things, things at him, and they're, they're just trying to get a picture with him, and they're trying to see him, and they're, they're trying to touch him, and they're trying to get around him. They're doing all this stuff, and essentially, this is what America does. We are king-making. We're making a king. We're making a king. Now, our story today comes from Mark chapter 11, so you can turn there. But it tells a a little bit of a different story. I don't know. You you might see the differences. I'm not not entirely sure. But if you were to look at, uh, at the differences here, you will see. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And we're, we're, th- this series is called The Greatest of All Time. And so we're talking about how Jesus is the greatest. 
So there's some stories that we're skipping over. We're not doing this expositionally in the way that we have done in the past, still expositionally, just not verse by verse, every single verse, every single chapter. We're, we wanted to move, this, move through this a little bit quicker so that we get some things to some things this fall. And we really wanted to talk about Jesus, which is always good in a sermon. So chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to uh, Bethphage, my computer says that's the way it's supposed to be said, Bethphage, and, uh, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, which is a donkey, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, or their jackets, or their outer garments, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now compare and contrast here for just a moment the differences between Mr. Trump landing at the Iowa caucuses in a multi-million dollar helicopter and Jesus riding on a lightning quick steed of a donkey, right? And a borrowed one at that. Have you ever seen the little pony rides at the, at the fair? Like short little horses with the, the long manes and whatever. Think that just a little bit. What in the world is Jesus doing? Donald Trump comes in and he wows everyone because he's like, you know what? I've built a very great business. I'm a very great businessman. People love me. I'm, I'm fantastic. Jesus comes in and he's like, could you go borrow a mule for me? Could, could, you, could you get a mule? And yet something is happening where Jesus has none of the pomp and circumstance, has none of this stuff, doesn't have a helicopter, doesn't have any of those things, and yet Jesus comes in, and it's called, or we've labeled it at least, the triumphal entry. Donald Trump has a triumphal entry. People are walking around yelling, screaming, yes, yes, we love him. Jesus comes in, has a different kind of triumphal entry What's he doing? What's he doing? Jesus is trying to show us something. Jesus is trying to show us who he is and what he is like. Just the same as Donald Trump is trying to show us who he is and what he is like. Now, it should be noted that these are two different things. We're talking about a future political leader, and then we're talking about Jesus Christ, who is clearly a religious leader. 
So what's, why, why is Jesus doing this? What's going on here? Well, Jesus has just healed a man named uh, Bartimaeus. He was blind. Jesus heals him. So people have heard about that. He's also just raised Lazarus from the dead. He just, somebody was just risen from the dead. People saw it, and they are going berserk, right? They are, they are going absolutely nuts. These are Jesus' accomplishments. Donald Trump's accomplishments have to do with building hotels and casinos and, and golf courses and, and things of that nature and building a very great business and whatever else he does. Jesus, on the other hand, actually has risen somebody from the grave. He's healed a blind man. He's been walking with his disciples for three years. He's been teaching them all along the way, has incredible sayings. He's been baffling these religious leaders called the Pharisees. And he has got a following and what's happening right now is that Jesus is coming into, back into Jerusalem. And what's he doing? He's walking to his death. And for the first time, he's actually going to publicly reveal who he is. And it's going to be through his followers. Because he's walking into town or he, on this donkey. He's coming into town. And his followers begin to shout, Hosanna, which means save us or save us we pray. They're shouting this out. They're shouting from the Psalms, save us. Save us, we, we pray. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. In fact, Luke in, uh, in Luke 19, they say, uh, Luke copies it down as this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Certainly all of these things took place. Imagine a political convention where people are shouting across, you can do it, Trump. You've got it. You're an excellent businessman. You're this, you're that. You see, what I don't get all the time, and I want to tell you that like the triumphal entry in Scripture has probably not been my most favorite portion of Scripture. I, and part of it's because I don't really like to ride donkeys, right? I mean, it's just, it's just awkward. They're just very slow. There's nothing sexy about it. I mean, it's just, I don't enjoy that. That's part of it. The other part of it is just, it's like, how did all of this happen? What is going on? But when you transfer it to our day and you see that this happens all the time, this happens all the time with political candidates, people who are supposedly going to save our country. Now, this, we could transfer this a little bit to politics and uh people who well on both sides of the aisle republican and and uh democrat and independents whatever you are libertarian who whatever your flavor is but we often think like this is our candidate they're the one that is going to save us they're the one that's going to take care of us they're the one that is going to make things right all over our country and all over our world. It's not that hard to believe. It's not that hard to figure out because you go, man, this happens all the time. In fact, it happened in Jesus' day as well. When a Roman general would come back from war, when he had killed, I've read, up to 5,000 people. He's killed up to 5,000. He has captured the king, the other generals. He rides back into town and it was customary for him to have a triumphal entry. He comes back into town, and, and people are cheering, and they're, and they're crying out. And he would ride through, 
And there's some suggestion that even in this time, that kings would often ride a donkey. It seems like a animal fit for a hobbit or something like that, but Jesus comes riding it, and it seems like kings would also ride these things. They had these things. It, uh, David, King David, had a mule as well that he would ride at times. And so what we have is we have all of the stuff that's going on, and so this is a little bit traditional. And oftentimes people would take their cloaks off and they'd throw them down. And, and the king would walk across him. It was a position of honor. But now here Jesus is, and he's being called the king. But why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, first of all, what's happening here is that there's a passage out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, chapter 9, verse 9 and 10 which reads this, and it is a prophecy regarding the Messiah, the one who's going to come and save God's people, the Jews. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. And what this just said is, Wake up, people. When you see this, this is what you, how you're going to know that your king, your Messiah, the one who's going to save you, is coming. This is how you're going to know. You ready for this? Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak Peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So what's happening right here, right now? People are shouting, that's the king. That's him. Now, they, they probably had political aspirations in mind. So this is a little bit of a political rally. We don't know exactly how they thought, but it sounds like they were saying, yeah, this is going to be a king like David, and he's going to come, and he's going to restore order. But they're recognizing him as king. And in fact, the Pharisees even said to Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 39, they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. When they heard them yelling, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Because the Pharisees know this. The Pharisees are saying, these people think that this guy on the donkey is the Messiah. They think that he's the one that's coming to save us. They think that that's the one. And they say to Jesus, hey, call your disciples off. I mean, this is blasphemy. They were upset. Because here Jesus is, he is being resounded as this king. He is being called this. And what is this king going to do? If you remember this passage from Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is. It's referring to 
who he is and what he is like. So what is he like? He's the Messiah, and he's coming. And these psalms that they're shouting at him saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, save us, are true about him. They're true about him. They're saying, save us, save us, save us. They're laying down their cloaks. This is who Jesus is. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus comes and he's going to show us what he's like. What's the significance of a donkey? Well, first of all, it's prophetic. But secondly, it is that it's showing us what he's like. The very fact that he didn't fly in a helicopter tells us something, right? He's not like Donald Trump. He doesn't give peace like Donald Trump is going to bring peace if he does. He's a different kind of king. He's a king that when he comes, he brings peace. He brings peace between man and God, and he brings peace between man and man. He brings peace to this world. He brings peace to our hearts, to our inner self. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What kind of a king is he? He's a king who is lowly in heart. You're going to find rest because he's not a Roman general who rides this incredible animal into the center of town who's carrying captives and who has killed 5,000, but he's gentle and he's lowly in heart. What kind of a king is he? He's showing us. God is showing us what kind of a God he is by showing us Jesus, who is God in the flesh, that's how we know what God is like. We're seeing Jesus. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He is meek. He's gentle. He's kind. This is the kind of king that he is. Who is your king? How do you view God? Is God this demanding general in your life whom you never get rest from? You are following the wrong God, if that is true. That is not the God of the Bible because God has revealed who he is through Jesus Christ. And he is gentle and lowly in heart. He is meek and mild. And he's kind and he's riding a donkey through town. And his followers are shouting what is true of him. He's a king and he can save you. Is he your king? You should make him your king. You should make him your king. Go to the next Verse here, and he entered Jerusalem, verse 11, and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So it's late, and Mark makes a, makes a point of doing something. Look at the, the literary 
device here. I don't know what it is or what is an English major. But he, what he does is he, he brings into our, our mind the temple. Mark just said he went into the temple. He looked around. It was late, so he left. Jesus just came in. Mark just brought our mind to the temple. Next verse here. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Mark makes a serious point of saying, he went to the temple, he went and slept, he was coming back, and he sees a fig tree, he's hungry, he comes to the fig tree, and there are some different understandings of what this means, but Jesus walks up to a fig tree, and people ask, why is he expecting to find figs when it's not the season for figs? Well, there is a possibility and a, and a very uh, good reality uh, that Jesus was looking for the buds that actually produced the figs or some other type of fruit that is on there. And oftentimes the locals still eat those today. They're not fully ripe figs, but they're unripe figs. And so perhaps it was time. This is a fig tree. It's in full bloom, meaning it has lots of leaves. And yet Jesus walks up to it expecting to find something, whatever that was. And he realizes that this fig tree is essentially telling a lie. The fig tree is saying, I have something to give, and yet it has nothing to give. The fig tree is saying, I have some stuff. And Jesus walks up and says, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, and then essentially he curses this tree. He curses this tree. Now, Jesus is essentially... A, uh, you know, not an environmentalist, obviously, because he strikes this tree dead. And we're, we're going to find out very, very shortly here. Thank God he didn't uh, create a clear cut. But he, uh, he, he, that's like only a joke that works in Oregon, right? Um, <laughs> I guess we should know our audience, right? Verse 20, if you skip down with me, verse 20 says, And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. And then he goes on to say, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours and when, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. There is a fantastic video on this at some point uh, that I have posted on my Facebook. Maybe I'll repost it again. It is very funny. You should find it. But in any case, what's Jesus saying here? The disciples get with him. Clearly, Jesus is talking about the temple and what Mark is going to do, he's going to sandwich in between talking about the temple. He's got the story about the fig tree. I'm telling you what, how, what Jesus says about that in just a second. But the main thing that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples 
is that this tree did not have something that it should have had. And Jesus is saying that if you're going to be my followers, you can't just be all leaves and no fruit. You can't just be someone who just has the leaves of religion without the fruits of real faith. And Jesus says, he's talking about their lives. He's talking about the things that are going on. He's talking about a mountain. And Jewish people would really identify that with, you know, a problem in life. It's a great mountain to be moved in my life. And Jesus is saying, listen, like, if, if you really are someone who claims to have religion, you've got the leaves of, of religion, and yet you don't have the fruit of faith, there's something wrong. And ultimately, you're cursed. But this could work in another way. You could look at your own life and you'd say, I've got lots of leaves. I've got lots of, I've got lots of adornment going on in my life. I'm okay because things are going pretty well for me. I've got money. I've got a good family. I've got all of those things. I have status. I have education. I'm in the right school. And yet you may think that you are a fully producing tree. And yet there is no faith because of this. Because you haven't really trusted in God. Jesus is not really your king and when a mountain comes, and when difficulty arises, the truth about where you stand with God and who your king is comes out. The truth about who your real king is comes out. And it's not the gentle and lowly in heart king riding on a donkey, but you may be following Donald Trump and not even know it. The hard-driving conservative businessman and the thing that you may fear the most is you're fired but see how that works you can be totally content in yourself and you can say I've got all this worked out you've got the leaves of religion you've got the leaves of a life that looks like it's going well and yet it's not really happening or you're on the other side and 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 you don't really have all of those things. You just have all, all you kind of have these leaves, you kind of, but really there's no faith. And really the thing that you're misunderstanding is this, is that you don't really know the real God. There's conjecture going on in your mind because you don't know the scriptures. You don't understand the Bible as it is and what God has to say. The only thing that you see is that you see this caricature of what someone else has told you God is, or what you've said in your mind, or it could be someone in authority in your life has mistreated you. It could be a mother or a father or a grandparent or a principal or, or a teacher or a boss. And so your caricature of who God is, is that. And you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop and to lose your job and to lose everything and to... And so what's happening in your life this is that you either have an overinflated view of self or you have an underinflated view of God. And on both accounts, it's fruitless. It's fruitless. And your king really isn't Jesus. 
You're not shouting to him, Hosanna, save us. You're not laying down your cloak before him, but you're essentially saying, I have my own God. I'll make my own. Jesus has some, some business to take care of immediately after he curses the fig tree in verse 14. Verse 15 says this, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. <clears throat> you know what was going on there? The mission of God was traded for the greed of his people. Because we're talking about the temple here, and the temple has an outer court, and that outer court is where they would have been. It's where they would have been exchanging money and, and, and paying for sacrifices or buying sacrifices. Because this is Passover, and so they need, they need animals to sacrifice. And so what they're doing is they're, they're, they've set up shop, and they're fleecing God's people. They're taking advantage of them. They're selling doves to poor people who can barely afford anything. And people are traveling for miles and miles to get there. And then they come, they buy their sacrifice, and then they can go in. But what's happening there is that that's the court of the Gentiles. Those are the people that are not, by birth, God's people. They're not Jews. You and I, most of us in here, are probably Gentiles in that sense. Like we're not Jewish people. And so what's going on there is that this is the court of the Gentiles. This is where they were supposed to be able to meet God. This is where the mission of God was supposed to be taking place. Where God was reaching out to other nations and to other peoples as he has promised that he was going to do through prophecy. And so what was happening is that the greed of God's people was overtaking the mission of God. Because the very place that other people should have been, they were not there. And it was substituted for programs. And it was substituted for all kinds of other things that made God's people happy. And you know what? That still happens today. That still happens today. That God's people get in this mode where we say, this is about us and this is our doing and this is what we're going to, this is how we're going to operate. And we're, we're going to create all of these other programs for ourselves and yet the truth is is that we're missing the mission of God we're missing who God is in all of this and instead of proclaiming who he is saying he is king we're trading for all kinds of other things we're pushing out anybody else that could have heard and we miss something and do you notice something that when Jesus comes to his true people, he's lowly and he's gentle and he's riding on a donkey. But when Jesus comes into the religious center and he sees what's happening here, 
he gets righteously angry. He is just in everything that he does. As a true king, he is angered that this would take place. So religious people have made religion their king. They've, they've, they've created this, this whole world, and essentially what they are is that they are a fig tree that is lying and saying, I have something to give, when really they don't. They don't have the figs of faith. They don't really seek after God. They're not really going after him. They're just, they don't believe that he'll do what he says he can. And really, where their belief is, is on themselves. They're trusting in themselves. They're trusting in man-made religion, not made by the true and living God, not supported by King Jesus. They're trusting in a religion that is man's doing. True, they are God's people, but they've made it into something else. Have you made your religion into something else? Is Jesus your king or is religion your king? Is Jesus your king or is morality your king? Is Jesus your king or is occasional church attendance going to do it for you? Is Jesus your king and are you going to throw your cloak down and say, Hosanna in the highest. He is the king. Save us. We pray. Or are you just a fig tree that has no fruits remaining in your curse, dried out? Because let me tell you, this is what can be. Is that God's people started out well with God's direction. And there were people who truly loved God. But there were people who started making their own rules, started doing their own thing. And they dried out from the root. They dried out because they weren't rooted in the real fertile soil. They were rooted in themselves. And you will dry out. You say, I don't get this religion. I don't understand what's going on. It's because you are dried out. You do not have fruit. You do not have faith. You're not praying to God, believing that he will do what he says he will do. You're not believing that he is the king. You're believing that something else is more powerful than God. You're believing that some other thing can be your savior. Every instance of sin is a lie that's telling you something. It's saying this. It's saying, Jesus can't save me. I must save myself through this action, through this thought, through this feeling, through this relationship, through this money, through my status. All of these things are going to save me, and Jesus can't do it. But let me tell you something. The Christian life is not just a one-and-done type thing, like I got rid of all of my other kings in my life. No. The Christian life is a perpetual purging of another king that gets on the throne and says, you know what, I think I can take it from here. I've got a helicopter for you. You want to ride? That's what these kings are communicating to us. But how does Jesus look at you? 
Okay, so you're a religious zealot. You've been religious all your life. You're a, you're a fig tree without any figs. You got a lot of leaves. Everybody thinks you're doing fine, but you're drying out from the root. How does Jesus look at you? Okay, so life looks good for you, and you're, you're doing okay. You're paying your mortgage. You've got a good job. You might even have a good family. Or maybe you're single, and it's just like things are going okay. But the truth is you're drying out at the root. How does Jesus look at you? What does Jesus see when he sees you? What's he think about? What's he think about when he sees you on the road to destruction? In Luke chapter 19, Luke adds one more piece to the triumphal entry. And Luke says this in Luke 19, 41 through 44. It says he's, he's coming around the bend and he's, he's making his way to Jerusalem and he's on the donkey and people are shouting praises. And it says this, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Now let's, let's talk about the word wept there. The word in the original language is not just like, It's like a, like a little, like a man tear. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, I'm alright. It's, it's, it's not that kind of weeping. It's, it's, it's wailing. It's loudly weeping. To weep or wail with emphasis upon the noise accompanying the weeping. All right. I have the clinical definition of weeping here, right? To weep and wail. Jesus is like sobbing. And he's, it's, it's like he's convulsing and he's just, he's crying. What's he crying over? His people. He's crying and it says this. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Who is Jesus? He's the prince of peace. He brings peace. He's gentle. He's lowly in heart. He's coming in peace on a donkey. Would that you, even you, who's you? You people. God's people, you've heard the word. You know this God. You know who I'm talking about. Come on. Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, what did he just say there? Jesus just prophesied a very big event. It's a historical event. Forty years later, we know that this took place we have historical record from Josephus who tells us that this took place. That Jerusalem, the city walls were surrounded. They were fighting the Romans. It was a great siege until the Romans got frustrated and they were like, we're, we're tired of this. So they surround the entire city, cut it off from food and water. And what happens? People begin to pass away. And the Jews begin to lose strength. 
and they can't keep going and they can't keep going until pretty soon they can't even bury their dead. And so they start sending them over the wall. And it's, it's a horrific event that is recorded in Josephus' history. But what it's saying is this, is that it, Jesus is saying, this is going to happen to you. And why? Why? Because they're prideful? Because they're unrepentant? They didn't know the things that made for peace? They didn't understand. There was, there was pride. There was unrepentance. And Jesus looks at people who are on this road to destruction. And he's coming in peace and he's riding a donkey. And he's saying, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart and I love you so much. And he sees where you're going. And he knows the end result of where you're headed. And you may not be experiencing the end result right now, but sin always ends in destruction. It always ends in destruction. And it will surround you and it will choke you out. And what does Jesus do? Does he say, you're fired? He weeps. He just cries. Not because he's weak, but because he loves you. He weeps with sobs saying, would that you have known the way of peace. I, I wish so badly that you could see that I am the true and the living God that I'm the only one that can save you, that I'm the only one that can do this for you. There's no political party that can help you. There's no amount of sex or drugs or money or your own personal pride or morality or religion because all of that, it's really just leaves. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. Won't you please lay down your pride? And exclaimed to him, Hosanna, save me. I want that. Now, why would you exclaim that? Because you see your road to destruction. You see yourself as a city who's backed in every corner and you're just kind of going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, guess what? There's a way out and it's through Jesus because he is the way of peace. All you have to do is recognize him. How do you know that you're saved? Because you even want to do it. Because you're even thinking about it. You might be here this morning, you're saying, I know about my sin. I know where I'm at. I don't know how I can do this. Guess what? Unsaved people don't dwell on their sin. People who God has saved, people who are God's people, think about this. There's impending judgment coming on me. I see my road to destruction. Why can you see that? Because God has shown you. He's shown you. And he is the way of peace. And it doesn't matter what happens because of this. When he hung on the cross and these very same people said, save yourself now. Do it. If you think you're so tough, if you think you're the greatest, if you, if you think you're really the king of the Jews, save yourself now, Jesus. You know what Jesus' reply to people like that is? 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said it on the cross. While you're screaming at him, he's bleeding for you. While you're living any way that you want, he's dying for you. He went to the cross for you. You must believe him. Make him your king today and believe that he will save you. Make him your king today and produce fruit because of his great love for you, because he forgives you even though you hate him or have hated him. Make him your king today because he's the only true king. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I wonder if there's some people here that need to see themselves in its true light. Some of us are simply holding back the mission of God because of the things that we want. Some of us are a fig tree and there should be fruit, but really there's just a lot of externals. They're just the leaves of religion without the fruit of faith. Some of us are a besieged city. In fact, all of us have been there or we are there currently. We're a besieged city because we've never trusted you as the only one who brings peace. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that we'd see you in your triumphal entry. That you're not in a helicopter and you're not on some amazing horse, but you're on a donkey to say, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. Lord Jesus, would your people feel that right now? That you're gentle, that you're lowly in heart that you love us with a love that is beyond compare. And you're weeping over us and you're saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. I am gracious. And I went to the cross for you and I, for, I will forgive you. I'm the only king who will forgive you. I'm the only king who will die for you. Lord Jesus, may we see that and believe that this morning. With your heads bowed. I just, I just want to take a second. I don't normally do this, but I, I just want to ask you. Who is your king? Who is your king? Because you can have all the leaves of religion without the fruit of faith. And you can think that you know Jesus, but you, you may not really know him. It's just something you've made up. Who is your king? Recognize the fruits in your life. Is there any fruit? Or is it just a path to destruction? For those of you that have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to tell you this morning, you must trust him today. You do not know the day of your visitation. You do not know the day when, when it will be too late. 
give your life to Jesus Christ. Make him your king. Lord Jesus, I pray that that we would do that. In your name we pray. Amen.